Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to Marvel's Pull List for new Marvel Comics on sale July 6th, 2022. I'm Ryan Panagos, aka Agent M. And I'm Jasmine Estrada. And I just want everyone to know my one of my favorite things in our planning document, because uh, we have a document with a list of our comics and all the things that we're going to talk about, blah, blah, blah. It says uh, it is no longer Pride Month, but we stay gay here yeah, on we the do. show. And I love it. Yeah, yeah we, we do. do. Very good. Um, how are you this week, Jasmine? Pretty good. Uh, still recovering from a lot of the Pride uh, celebrations from the it. past weekends. I'm sorry. My voice is pretty much shot. I'm sorry, everyone. There was lots of screaming. Good. Good. Fun. Have a good time. Uh, Catherine has gotten her first shot, Woo! which is great. We're very excited about that. She's uh, also started summer camp, which is very exciting. We are not just talking about My Child or Pride Parades. We are talking about all the Marvel comics this week because this is the official Marvel show for Marvel Comics. We're going to tell you about all the new Marvel comics out this week. We're going to give our picks. We're going to give out some awards. We're going to tell you what's hitting Marvel Unlimited, both the Infinity Comics, those exclusive scrolling issues you can read exclusively on MU, as well as the books that came out three months ago that are now hitting Marvel Unlimited, plus collections on sale, plus a reading club and who are we talking with this week? We are talking to Phil Noto, who is one of my favorite artists out there. Um, and we're going to be talking about not only The Variants, which is a new book that just came out last week, but Daredevil Love and War, which is ugh, just gorgeous, stunning book. Yeah. Um, I want to give a little quick shout out, as I think I've done before, to executive editor VP Tom Brevoort. Um, as he has a great newsletter, you can find it linked on, on his social media. He's just Tom Brevoort. We'll throw it in the show notes. Great. Thank you. Uh, because every week he posts about the books that he has edited and the, that are releasing. And he mentions the variants in the newsletter that goes out that talks about, you know, that issue coming out and, um, how he got Gail Simone on board and how he, got um phil noto on board and and the, the actual concept for the show all that stuff so it's always good for a little bit of extra behind the scenes info as much as we can provide i think tom can do so much more because he's tom freaking brevoort it's been longer than a month and we need to get him on here so oh, yeah. we need some of that we, we need some of that newsletter dish on here that's right but that's not what we're here to do this week no we are here to talk about some dang comic books so let's start with our picks first up is avengers forever number seven it feels like i don't know maybe we picked avengers forever last time it was out but i love this book so much quick the the concept is it is a book about multiversal avengers boom mm -hmm. that's all you need to know you've all got you need to know various versions of your favorite superheroes your favorite super team uh this one is a steve rogers centric issue it is by jason aaron aaron cooter cam smith and guru efx because that is how it's listed in the credits they are just one team i like yeah. that a lot and letter by vc's Corey pettit and when you open up this issue you get the cast list you know that tells you who's showing up in the issue we see ant-man deathlock ghost rider but then steve rogers steve rogers steve rogers and steve good boy the, the new character find of 2022 is a version of steve rogers who is a dog yes he's like a golden retriever too which is like pure steve rogers energy but i love it uh aaron cooter here providing pencils so rad i love aaron so much there's the first line of dialogue in this is one of our steve rogers 
running into uh out of a room into like these open doors to fight something and it says death to the military industrial complex hell yeah and then just getting pushed right back uh there are actually five steves rogers is in this issue because we see one who does not want to come out the cool thing about this is it takes place over uh, an expanded period of time as this one steve rogers who's yelling who's the one who starts things is trying to like rally the rest of the troops and slowly but surely he uh, you know you see all these other steves sort of find their way into what they need to do it is just a wonderfully constructed story building a lot of context around these characters while you still know that they are a steve rogers they're all very different they all come from different worlds different backgrounds have different motivations and when that fifth one finally shows up oh man hell yeah oh i like i got up and was just yelling with like just pumping my fist in the air like oh this is dope and it's one of those aaron cooter pages uh, the, actually, it's like back to back, big Aaron Cooter, massive feeling characters, big emotional buildup. Mm-hmm. You can hear the music swell. Jason Aaron coming in here with like those great moments. It is terrific. If you are a fan of Steve Rogers, any version of Steve, this is an issue you have to check out. And then then there's a reveal of like what is really going on. And then there's more stuff happening. I don't want to give anything else away. Next up, we have Strange Academy, number 18. It's written by Scotty Young with art by Umberto Ramos, uh, colors by Edgar Delgado, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. And I love this book, and I'm so happy that it's finally back for a single issue, at least for now. So if you remember from the last couple of issues, uh, back in February, I think we had one in spring as well, um, we had a lot of drama going on between Doyle, Emily, Calvin, and like essentially how some of these children were rebelling against Strange Academy for kicking out Calvin, um, while Doyle also kind of feels left out and excluded because he gets stood up by Emily. So there's some drama going on there, some tension. And in this issue, we kind of get to see the kids outside of the school for the first time, really. And really, really trying to figure out how they want to protest the school and like try to figure out what that means, which I think was really interesting in this book and why I liked it. But not only that, we get a confrontation between the teachers and some of these students, including Emily. And, oh man, like just seeing the power that Emily unleashes here is like, it feels like she's just been holding all of this in for the past 18 issues. And she just goes in. It's fascinating. We get to see a little bit more of what Doyle's been up to. Doyle goes and sees a fortune teller who gives them a fortune about what's to come. And we see a lot of that on one of these pages. We get a nice splash page and it's, It's terrifying, but also like, I'm so excited for it. Things are changing in the world of Strange Academy and the book is going to be coming back this summer. So I'm very, very excited. So if you've been, if you've been following this and you're excited to see more, like we're going to get more. Things are heating up big time. Love this book. So gorgeous too. Just so gorgeous. All right. Our third pick of the week this week is, I'll be honest with you, a surprise. And it's one of my picks. It's Carnage number four. Y'all, I have talked about it. I'm not a huge Carnage guy. I loved him as a kid because, you know, when you're like 10 years old, you're kind of always an edgelord, a weirdo, like into these murder characters. But as I've gotten older, you know what? Surprise, not a big fan of murder. Who knew? Who knew? Right? But uh, Carnage, this issue in particular, it's been really interesting. So you've got the Carnage symbiote is separated from Cletus Cassidy, but 
they're kind of like two entities now and, and Cletus is in a version of a symbiote and his consciousness is in there. It's some really weird metaphysical separation stuff going on. And like the symbiote is trying to get the power back that it had, well, I guess during absolute carnage and mm-hmm. leading up to um, all the stuff that happened with Null, it is trying to amass power and it is basically killing supervillains and taking their abilities such a cool like concept he's taken hydra man's powers he's taken the spots powers and now he's going into other realms Mm -hmm. on the other side of things you've got this version of cletus which is in a sense being tainted by the person it's connecting to the the host who is a uh, like a law enforcement person who has got a moral code which is making cletus less murdery mm-hmm. so there's a, a really interesting way that it's twisting things around for these characters it's all by writer ram v art by francesco mana colors by dijo lima and letters by vcs joe sabino uh, of course we want to make sure everybody knows uh, dijo lima passed away may um, had only been working for Marvel for like less than a year. Right. And I, I spoke with Ricky Purden, who's our head of talent who worked with Dijo, uh, bring Dijo into Marvel and was, they were so excited and so proud and happy. Um, it is a, it's very sad. Um, but Dijo's work is beautiful in here in this way that it's like this dark, subdued color that you need for something like this it is nasty this is a very much a horror book oh yes absolutely and this one takes us to we've been in earth for a while but now we go to svartelheim which is great so you've got dark elves you've got you know vibes about like what was going on with malekith there's ties to various things because Malekith was doing stuff with symbiotes during War of the Realms. It's like it's right. really interesting how Ram V has pulled in various different elements into this story. If you want to dip your toes into some creepy horror, nasty stuff, this is a good book for it. That's it for our picks of the week uh, this week. But we have a bunch of fabulous fresh new floppies to hand out a new award. Yes, for awards, of course. Last week, we had the Holy Beans and Weenies Award, which came from Avengers number 57. And whilst we were recording today, we had a couple of folks chime in. First up was Karis Pollard, who was first out the gate, finding it. Karis, you win again. But not far behind was Mountain Meg. And like I, I like in Mountain Meg's tweet, I was really hoping this week's Marvel's Pullist Award quote would be from Avengers 57. And there it is. Loving the series along with so many other great releases this week. Also love the podcast this week, um, which... Thank you. And Karis said uh, that I like that she called it the pull list passphrase. Passphrase. Yeah. I like that. Happy beans and weenies to everyone. Yeah. Um, Are you ready to find out what our next award is going to be called? I am. All right. So did some digging and this week's award because I got criticized on Twitter because everyone's like, why do you keep picking food? And I'm like, because I like food. But I decided to pick a non-food award name. And this week's award name is the Itchy Wool and Stinky Leather Award. And of course, if you find this quote, screen cap it and tweet it to at Agent M and at Jasmiest with hashtag Marvel's pull list. Or you can email us at pull list at Marvel.com. If you're about the first, uh, check your DMs, check your emails. I may write you back with something fun. All right, let's talk about the new fabulous fresh floppies hitting shelves this week. 
A reminder, again, this week's award is the Itchy Wool and Stinky Leather Award. We're going to be giving that out to a whole bunch of books, starting with Amazing Spider-Man number five. This one, we've got Johnny Romita Jr. here doing all kinds of stuff. We're getting a little bit more of behind the scenes of what has been going on with things, particularly with Peter Parker. I want to give my Itchy Wool and Stinky Leather Award to a conversation that happens between Spider-Man and Tombstone in here. And it's just, they're like playing a game of chess and it's menacing, but also funny at times and quirky. I dig it. Oh, I, and also, especially there's one panel in here. There's a couple of panels in here where Spider-Man is like lounging on a couch Mm -hmm. and the way that Johnny draws, I don't think I've ever seen Spidey laying down sideways and moving his head it's just one of those simple little things. I freaking loved it. Same with like John Romita Jr. I mean, like I will give him the itchy wool and stinky leather award for one of my favorite pages in the Spider-Man book so far. It's literally two panels on top of each other. The first one is we see Spider-Man from the back, just kind of like lurking in the shadows. And then we see in the next panel, the reversal. And it is such a like simple thing, but it just looks so cool to me. Like I was like, this is my Spider-Man. Like I love Spider-Man. He's all right. I like him. I like him a little bit. Yeah. Moving on, we have Black Panther issue number seven. And I need to give my Itchy Wool and Stinky Leather Award to Tosin, who makes a comeback in this issue. Mm -hmm. Um, The seeds were planted early on in the series, and he finally kind of comes into his own. And we kind of see where that puzzle piece fits in this issue. And I'm very excited to see what happens next. Yeah. Tosin, very cool new character. Excited for more. So cool. All right, on to Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty, number two. This could have been one of my picks of the week. Uh, I know previously we talked about how damn beautiful this series is. Continues to be that. Carmen Carnero just becoming a powerhouse. This issue is gorgeous, top to bottom. Big action. The big mystery stuff, like what they're building. I am excited because I don't know all the details and I have like a lot of thoughts, a lot of questions, and I'm really interested to see how this all shakes out. I will give my itchy wool and stinky leather award to Bucky, though. Bucky looking so hot in this issue. And I'm not someone who's into a man bun, but like he's got this vest on and he's rolling up his sleeve and he's got this look on his face. And I'm just like. Okay, but in that scene is something that I do not want to give away. Right. Next up, we have Ghost Rider number four, and I need to give my Itchy Wool and Stinky Leather Award to the circus. Uh, And I want to give it to one particular act that happens in the circus in this issue because it was uh, not what I saw coming, but (laughs) oof, oof. That's all I have to say. That's all I have to say. All right, on to Jane Foster and the Mighty Thor number two. There's a lot of really big moments in here. There's a siege on Asgard. There's Runa doing just awesome stuff with Yarnbjorn, just like slicing and going after all kinds of nasties. There's Enchantress being friggin' queen. Amazing. So good. I am hard pressed to pick one single moment. I think I will give my Itchy Wool and Stinky Leather Award to the scene in New Orleans. Torn Grombeck is the writer on this issue. And I was like, oh, I, I want Torn to write more of this yep. character in this scene. Me like, too. Immediately. I really dug it. The voice was great. The the creepiness, the weirdness, the like the use of powers, everything about it was spectacular. Mm-hmm. 
All right, we have King Conan number six this week. And this one, this is a big one for a number of reasons. This is the final issue of this series, but it's also the final issue of Marvel's new Conan Hyborian Age stories. So this is this is it. This is the the end of our new stories. He's still showing up in Savage Avengers, but this is like the big goodbye for us, at least for now, of these stories. And it goes out with a bang of this is Conan's final stand. It is big, slicey, dicey bits. I will give my itchy wool and stinky leather award to a panel that Mahmoud Ashar draws, which I love so much. It is of Conan with his arm around a vulture, drunk mm. with a mm. big thing of wine, and they're just singing. Oh. Conan and a vulture singing is not a thing I thought I'd ever see, but I really, really loved it. Next up, we have Legion of X number three. And okay, this book has been getting crazier and crazier each issue, but I need to give my itchy wool and stinky leather award to the humanity that is being injected into Juggernaut because that is something that I did not expect to ever really see. Uh, I didn't expect to ever sympathize with Juggernaut. And this book really made me consider a lot of what's been happening to him, what's been happening on Krakoa, and also just like the relationship between Legion and Juggernaut. But I love that he calls him Uncle Kane or Unky Kane. Uh. And it's it's just like, oh, that's right. You guys are family. Like I for you forget those small things because everyone's so in their own little pockets. But it's just like a heartwarming moment. Um, and I really loved seeing that. Yeah. Also, the power of therapy and what that means for, for Kane Marco. So I love this book so much. I'm also gonna throw in a um an itchy wool and stinky leather award mm -hmm. for a scene of horny, horny nightcrawler. You were gonna bring that up. Next up, we have Sabretooth number five, which uh, is another last issue in a mini series. This is the fifth issue in the Sabretooth series, but don't worry if you've been enjoying this book like I have, there will be more Sabretooth. Uh, stay tuned for that. I'm gonna give my Itchy Wool and Stinky Leather Award to one page that I just absolutely adore and just gobbled up because it was so tasty and just delicious. But it is a confrontation between Sabretooth, Mystique, and Destiny. And really it's it's a fight scene between Mystique and Destiny. Mystique comes in, flips Sabretooth as he's trying to escape the island because he broke out in the last issue. Sabretooth immediately goes, careful Mystique, you're making your wife jealous. And then Mystique just continues, like they just one-up each other. Mystique's like, you're no competition, Creed. And then they continue to tussle. And then Creed's like, you going to call in the other 10 quiet council bozos to stop me? And the Mystique's like, obviously I didn't need help taking you down and I'll do it again. And it just feels like a fighting video game. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like they each have like one-liners, like they're just going at it. And that's not who I'm gonna give my award necessarily to as much as I'm gonna give it to Destiny because she makes a choice here. Mm. And it's got a huge payoff. Um, that we have yet to see. Yeah. I also love that Mystique Sabretooth thing because they have so much history. Mm -hmm. They have a child together, a racist, horrible, nightmare child, great in Creed, who yeah. I hope is dead. Might I not hope be dead. so. I don't I remember. So. Um, but like they have so much business together. Oh, man. Anyway, uh, we got to keep moving to Star Wars, the Halcyon Legacy number four. I'm going to give my itchy wool and stinky leather award to Will Sliney, artist here doing great renditions of Maz Kanata. Mm -hmm. Just she looks so rad. And uh, Lando Calrissian. There's some poses in here of Lando and they are just 
so terrific, so juicy, so perfect. Um, also, shout out to Ethan Sachs for just some great Lando writing and great. There's a Maz moment in particular that I absolutely loved, and you like you getting her um, motivation to, of why she's in this story just will warm your heart. Next up, we have What If Miles Morales, number five. And I'm going to give two awards out. One to Cody Ziegler for not only closing out this like awesome journey and chapter in Miles Morales' history, but for introducing a version of Uncle Aaron that we haven't seen yet, which was so cool to see pop up in this issue. But also to a variant cover artist, John Tyler Christopher, for giving us an action figure cover variant of Captain America Miles Morales. And... I immediately screenshotted it and I'm mm. like, I already have a draft written up. I'm like, Hasbro, here's why you should make this hero an action figure today, along with Viv Vision. So I like everything also includes and also Viv Vision. And also Viv Vision. I've been yeah. waiting for a Viv Vision figure forever, but I will take this one as well. All right. Last new book of the week. And I just want to make a note because I had this question when I saw the books this week. I was like, we had Sabretooth last week. We had mm-hmm. Excellent last week. Are, mm-hmm. Is that correct? That is correct. With everything that's been going on with with shipping and, and all that stuff, we've got these issues. We're, they're available, so let's get them out. Let's get them into fans' hands. So, yes, there's two issues of Sabretooth back-to-back weeks. There's issues of Excellent back-to-back weeks because we have Excellent number five as our last issue of the week. The previous issue ended on this big cliffhanger, and I was like, oh, I wonder how this character will get out of that. And it opens up and like, oh, that character did not get out of that. Oh, <laughs> I forgot. That's what these like ecstatics, X-Force and excellent. They do not pull punches like this. Mm-mm. Any member of these casts could be taken out off the board in various gruesome ways at any point. And that's where I'm going to give my itchy wool and stinky leather award to a character who gets vomited on and is killed. Mm. And it is just a wild scene. This whole book is bananas, big satire of superheroes and celebrity and influencers and all kinds of stuff going on. If you're into this vibe, reading X-Force and then Ecstatics and then Excellent in like a concerted effort together really builds a picture of what Peter Milligan and and Mike and Laura Allred have been doing with these characters. It's great. I also want to just mention that like this book does my favorite thing that comic books do where it's like, you get a, a new character on the cover of the story or on mm. the cover of the book. And you're like, and the character design is awesome. Yeah. Like I'm like immediately like, who is this? I need to know more about them. And as soon as you open the book, boom, you get the introduction. And this is a, this is a prize that I think I'm going to, I'm going to speak for Cara, our producer on the show, mm. because she right away was like that opening page to excellent, like number five. It's a doozy, but I love her already. I love Pip Squeak already. Toodle Pip. Toodle pip. All right. It is time to talk about Marvel Unlimited. Um, let's start with the books now on Marvel Unlimited that came out three months ago. That includes Immortal X-Men number one. Big, big issue there. Uh, the second issue of Excellence. So we were just talking about that. You can check that out. There's Spider-Man Miles Morales. There's Hulk Grand Design out this week. And many, many more. Lots of issues to check out this week. Oh, Spider-Woman 21. Silk number three, man. Silk number three. Great books. Go read lots of books in Marvel Unlimited. Lots of books, like also maybe some Infinity Comics. We have a short list of Infinity Comics coming this week as well. We have X-Men Unlimited Infinity Comic number 42, uh, which is titled Cypher in the Cryptolect Part 1. 
Yeah, Cypher and the Cryptolect is uh, one by Alex Pactondale and Damien Cruciero, and it is a two, I believe, a two-parter about Cypher and going into some mysterious stuff. Um, so yeah, I, look, we love us some Doug Ramsey. Uh, also, we have Marvel's Voices, Young Avengers, Infinity Comic Number Six, as well as Love Unlimited, Ms. Marvel, Red Dagger, Infinity Comic Number Five, um, which just continues the Love Unlimited series and Marvel Meow, Infinity Comic Number Ten. And who knows, maybe there are other things hitting Marvel Unlimited this week that you'll have to check out. Make sure you have the app, you subscribe, you get excited for new books. All right, let's talk about collections on sale. There's, man, the omnibuses will not stop. Holy moly. No, we get two Mighty Thor omnibuses, volume one and two. And two Aliens omnibuses. It's Aliens the Original Years, which are so rad. Uh... I think I might have told the story on the pod before, but and our producer Cara will appreciate it. Uh, at my old comic shop, when I was a kid, it was called Gotham Manor. Loved the comic shop. They used to have in brown paper bags, like grab bags, and they would put like three or four comics for a dollar, a dollar fifty, and you could, you know, they were things that probably weren't moving for them. But as someone who was young, who was looking to find new stories and new comics. It was great. It was a treasure. It was a mystery. And so I bought one and I brought it home. And one of the comics was an old aliens comic, like a dark Mm -hmm. horse aliens comic. And those are so incredibly violent and wild. Uh, (laughs) At one point, a character gets its like a space marine gets his arm ripped off and he's on a pile of dead bodies, both xenomorphs and humans, from what I remember. And he's shooting a machine gun and takes pills. So like to stop the pain and to like keep him going. And it, it's wild. And somehow my mom got it. And then she was super upset. She was like, what are you reading? She had to go and like, <laughs> she went to talk to the, the comic shop. And I was probably like 10 or 11 at the time, uh, somewhere in there. But it was all fine. Look, I'm okay. You're Everything's okay. okay. Yeah, it worked out. So go read these so wild, far. wild aliens comics. That's all we got for new comics this week, but we have a great reading club with Phil Noto about Daredevil, Love, and War coming up next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get hyped. All right, Jasmine, I, I'm, I'm going to be real honest, real selfish here. I'm not going to let you talk because all I want to do is talk to my friend, Phil Noto, for the next wow. 12 hours because I haven't seen his beautiful face in like oh, 15 years. Way too years. long. Way I too know. Long. How you doing, Phil? Good, good. How are you? Terrific. Hi, All Phil. right, Jasmine, you can come on in. Hi, I got in a high. Just a quick <laughs> high. Hi, Phil. How's it going? Big fan. Good, good. Oh, thank you. First time caller. <laughs> Um, man, there's so much the, uh, to cover and talk about, and uh, I'm just delighted to, to chat with you about all this stuff because our reading club selection is a Daredevil book that I'm going to wager most people don't have very intimate experience with because it it's not part of the main run. It is the Daredevil Love and War graphic novel from 1986 and phil why'd you pick this one it's just like one of my all-time fave single issue things i mean i'm a giant sinkevich fan like he's one of like my comic idols and a giant influence so i mean i got back into comics in the early 90s after not reading them for years and years and years so um 
I had trained as an illustrator, so I kind of gravitated to all the very painterly stuff early on in the early 90s, like the Kent Williams meltdown with John Muth. And then uh, I discovered Electra Assassin and Daredevil Love and War. And I was just, you know, so like this is this is the best stuff. But yeah, the this Daredevil is so great because it's like it's kind of like if there was a TV series, this would be kind of the weird creative episode that wasn't didn't really feature the main star as much as you would think. Because, you know, it's a Daredevil book, but he's just kind of a co-star in it. Like, mm-hmm. I'd almost say he has the smallest part in in this book, even like it's Kingpin his like crazy henchman victor and then daredevil's just kind of a facilitator that moves things along but he doesn't like it's definitely not your typical daredevil story what is your pipeline into comics and specifically marvel comics well i had started at dc after doing just a bunch of like fan art and commissions and stuff and they hired me to start doing some covers. And then not too long after that, I did, I think it was an X-Men Unlimited cover. I think it was Snowbird and Phoenix. And then I did a Captain Marvel cover. But yeah, I always loved the Marvel characters. And then I got really lucky in, I think, 2009, maybe. I did um, the Avengers Origin miniseries with Joe Casey mm. for uh, Tom Brevoort. And that was so much fun because, like, all the Avengers, you know, <laughs> the A-listers, I got to sit down and draw. And um, and then after that, just kind of stuck with Marvel and just, yeah, so about 13 years now, which is crazy. Yeah, we're never going to let you go. Love it. I could talk about your art forever, but we definitely need to get into into this reading club uh, because I'm also very excited to talk about Daredevil uh, Love and War. It's written by Frank Miller and with art by Bill Sienkiewicz. Um, letters by Jim Novak and edited by Alan Milgram, which I've never seen his full name written out like that. It was very yeah, strange to me where I was like, is this a different person? Is this Al? Well, that's also, I mean, yeah, the back in the day when you'd have like these artists and writers and stuff that would just go on mm. to like editing. So this was actually um, the thing about Daredevil Love and War. It was a part of the Marvel graphic novel line where mm-hmm. we were releasing original graphic novels. These soft covers started with New Mutants. And so we've had mm-hmm. a ton of amazing graphic novels. We covered a couple of them here on the show. Not a ton, mm-hmm. but a couple. And it is in Marvel Unlimited. So for anybody who wants to find it, it is actually listed as Daredevil Love and War in Marvel Unlimited. It was released September 16th, 1986. And if you look at where Frank Miller, writer of Daredevil, was, he finished his run on Daredevil with um, Born Again and the Nuke Story in Mm -hmm. April 22nd, 1986. That's uh, Daredevil 233. So this is just like the the graphic novel, sort of like the cap on it all Mm -hmm. after Born Again, which is, that's a hell of a way to go. Report again is pretty damn good. And then to come out with this graphic novel, which is spectacular and very different. Yeah. I mean, this was like, I mean, Frank Miller, especially 80s Frank Miller was amazing. But I mean, I just feel like this is him running on all cylinders with just because so much of this book is like narrated by the, you know, different characters in the sequences. And it's just... Mm -hmm. It's like Apocalypse Now with, you know, Martin Sheen's narration. Like, it's so perfect. 
So we talked about Frank Miller as the writer. Mm -hmm. Of course, we've talked a little bit about uh, Bill Sienkiewicz, uh, the artist. And I wanted to also couch where Bill was in, in you know, timeline wise, because um, he had been doing New Mutants for a while. Of course, you know, he's been on New Mutants for, you know, like a year, give or take after some Moon Knight stuff before that. But this lands, this graphic novel lands like in people's hands the week after Electra Assassin number three is Ugh. released. And that to me is the wildest thing that like he's coming out so hard with stuff that is so influential right mm-hmm. in that. Yeah. Like, that that's like a 10 month period. Also, these two books just like complement each other so well. Oh, yeah. All right. Let's get into Daredevil Love and War. I love the the opening page. Just, you know, we get into it and it's just from the lettering to the title treatment right in there. The first, you know, bit of texture we get of the city here in this. And it's, you know, you're immediately hit with that thing that you were talking about, Phil, of like, this is going to be different. Even if the cover Mm -hmm. didn't already tell you that first page with all the credits and everything else this is not the regular monthly Daredevil book, so hold on. Yeah, it's, I mean, it starts off, and, like, I remember when I showed my kids when we went to see Spider-Verse, and Kingpin shows up in kind of his Sienkiewicz style, mm. like, from this book, and I was like, we got home, and I, I grabbed this, The Love and War, to show my son, because I was like, this is where they got the king, because he was like, Kingpin looks so awesome, he was like, so big, and I'm like, yeah, it's from Bill Sienkiewicz, Bill Sienkiewicz, and showed me, he's like, oh, wow, and, but yeah, I mean, the, like, he uses, like, a, a pasted on, like, pattern for, uh, yes, Fisk's, like, his vest that he wears, and it's just, yeah, it's so stylized, it's insane. Yeah, it almost looks like wallpaper. Which is funny because then the walls are very like clean and, and yeah. like there isn't any, any crazy like background stuff going on. It's all on his vest, which I thought was really mm-hmm. fascinating. Going back to like Frank Miller, just, you know, doing great stuff. It's like the whole like, you know, first three pages or so is just narration, like kingpin narration. Like it's not even mm-hmm. there's no like real dialogue or anything but it's just all the stuff that he's thinking of and then you switch to like crazy victor who uh you know spoiler alert he dies in the end but man i wish they had (laughs) kept him around for another story or two frank miller and bill doing just psychotic villains absolutely but yeah and like these opening pages we establish like what the main story is which is essentially that vanessa aka kingpin's wife is sick Kingpin is devastated and wants to obviously like find a way to make her feel better, to cure her to some sense. And like, it's him kind of like you were saying, Phil, about like giving a monologue, explaining Mm -hmm. like what's going on and like what he needs to do in order to make sure his wife doesn't die. Yeah. And then he hires this guy, Victor, who's this psychopath who looks like bill draws almost almost like a baboon he doesn't look quite human Mm -hmm. which is such a great look his job from kingpin is to kidnap the blind wife of this like eminent doctor fisk wants him to come and like cure vanessa but he's gonna like hold his wife Mm -hmm. hostage until he does it until he cures her he even says like yeah like when he t- when he finally confronts the doctor for the first time he's mm-hmm. like i need you to cure my wife and i want your pa- the same passion 
that I have right now. Yeah. Essentially, like he wants him to also feel the same stakes mm-hmm. that Wilson Fisk feels, which yeah. is like crazy because yeah, like I have your wife hostage. Your mm-hmm. wife will die if my wife dies. Yeah. Like fix her. Yeah. Crazy. But like he, he miscalculates and decides to let Victor keep <laughs> the blind wife at his place rather than like take him to Fisk Tower or something where he can, where she could be guarded by more competent criminals. But um, we we mentioned this earlier about how like Daredevil isn't really he's not the main character in this book. Like he is like almost like a side character in this book. And then when we when we first get to see Daredevil in this book, it's still like couple pages into the story mm-hmm. like he doesn't oh, pop yeah. up right away and we get a big splash page that i just love like i spent so much time just staring at it just like looking at all the details and all the stuff going on we get like a a nice like macchio shout out like ralph macchio <laughs> shout out uh easter egg in in the one of the signs but i think this was the page that kind of like set it up for me where it was like okay like daredevil is a, a character in this world in the story but he moves very, very fast, like what's going on in his image. Like we see a lot of like traffic lights and a lot of like movement. You don't really see him coming. Like he's Oh, he's just a blur. Yeah. Yes, he's like a blur. And like that really I think sets the tone for the rest of this book for like how Daredevil will be used. And like throughout the next couple of like sections, like we see that. Like I I feel like we we get to see like there's like a bunch of red flashes, a bunch of red like blurriness and you're like okay is that daredevil or like there's one page where like i feel like the palette turns more red and mm-hmm. it's like he, he you don't even see him but you know he's there just lurking yeah. in the room yeah i mean it's it's really neat how he like i love how he draws daredevil too because he's just kind of like he makes some like real like massive like real like big mm-hmm. you know 80s sinkevich torso and um you know, kind of muscular and tall, but just kind of this stark red character. I mean, granted, Daredevil's costume, especially back then, wasn't super detailed, but it's just, mm-hmm. it, it makes such a great composition on the page of just this big red figure and all the panels and the action. It's just, it really reads because he kind of like sticks out amongst the other characters and stuff when he's on there. So then as we as we go on, we, we get to see more interactions between Victor and the doctor's wife, who is like you were mentioning blind, but like is also like drugged up. So like she's kind of like knocked out while he, he kind of just mm-hmm. stares at her and watches her. It's such a like creepy. Oh, he's, like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, it's it's really I don't <laughs> put my like my finger on it, but the way that he's drawn, even in the same space mm. as her, like as she's on, on the bed, like it gives this like really creepy and like gross feeling like you immediately like my shoulders immediately started rising up like or i'm like who what is this guy what's he doing like he's just supposed to look over her but he starts like monologuing and you can hear his thoughts and like you start realizing that there's something else going on here oh, as well yeah. yeah i love he'll start having like arguments with himself like i don't like her like that i need to take my pills mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, he goes to a sister's house and he you know hides in her closet and forgets to take his pills and then freaks out and like this is definitely you know a 13 plus like there there's a whole yes you know giant panel where victor kills the cleaning lady and it's just 
And I, I want to yes. say, I think it's the cleaning lady in um, Matt and Foggy's office building. Office, and it's yeah. just, yeah, in, right. her, in their office. And it's just like the floor is just full of blood. And then he just starts mopping up the mm-hmm. blood afterwards. <laughs> it's like, yeah. yeah, it's it's pretty intense. This is a very gritty Daredevil story. Yeah. Well, speaking of gritty, you know, this is set in New York City in the mid 80s. And, yeah. you know, the city is a couple of years before it started to really get cleaned up. I remember going down into Midtown Manhattan when I was oh, like, yeah. right before, you know, 10 years old. Yeah. Midtown, Upper East or Upper West Side with yeah. my mom because she worked in Manhattan. She worked in the city. And so I would, you know, go to work with her once in a while. And so I don't have the greatest recollections of what it was like, but remember it just there, there was still a grime to it. And obviously if you look at films of the time, mm-hmm. um, you, you see a lot of that. And I think there's a couple of shots, you know, when that Machio splash page where daredevil's bouncing that the colors, the feel it, mm-hmm. it oh, is it really completely. Reads. Yeah. Yeah. It's evocative. Like there's moments where Daredevil is giving chase. There's subway moments. There's mm-hmm. a couple of places here and there where you just get that vibe. And then it also, you know, take that and, and think of the just 80s stylistically and color palettes. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, when Cheryl and Daredevil are swinging, that mm-hmm. to me feels like it, you know, it, like for whatever reason, I got a, a waft of never ending story, <laughs> yeah. like, color palette mm-hmm. and, and feel which is completely out of place, yeah. but it is of a similar time. Um, yeah, so I found it's giving, that really interesting. Like very yeah. like pulpy, like romance novel type art. Yeah, because you have like Victor on the subway, which is like gritty eighties, like just you know dirty. You can smell New York in those pages, and then you go you to yeah. like Daredevil and um, Cheryl the wife and and even like kingpin like it's just kind of this gold opulent dynasty like tv show type of like 80s aesthetic surrounding him it's great seeing those two things kind of back to back in the same book right you you really feel like you know daredevil's operating in like the the gritty shadows of new york while kingpin's in his like you know golden tower yeah, and so like we're talking about the rescue. So Daredevil rescues Cheryl from Victor um, and his creepiness. But while that's happening, while while Daredevil is taking her to, I, I'm assuming it's his apartment. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's ever really stated, but it seems like it's his home. Meanwhile, Victor goes to go see his sister during the altercation with Daredevil. He gets hurt. He needs a sister who happens to be a nurse to patch him up and also so happens to, to be what seems to be his supplier for these mm-hmm. pills and like while he's there he notices a knife while he's getting patched up and while she goes and essentially gets his pills like he grabs the knife which can we talk about this knife because who just won <laughs> keeps this kind of it looks like a dagger yeah and, and like it's just hanging out next to a first yeah. aid kit and i'm like oh my god yeah it's like a ceremonial dagger yes <laughs> it's crazy what is she doing it's a weird family y'all yeah Clearly. one of the fun things i love and it's like just such a, a neat stylistic flourish in the panel in which Victor is being patched up. Mm-hmm. The knife is on the, the table oh, there yeah. next to all this stuff. And 
there's like this circle from around his face and a circle around the knife and this dotted line pointing to him. <laughs> it adds to the creepiness, I think, more than mm-hmm. anything yeah. else. Like yeah. he's clearly analyzing like his next move and what to do. But yeah, so then he goes into the closet to essentially take his pills. He convinces his sister not to go on a date so he can stay with her, which I thought was funny. And this is where we start getting a little bit more of that creepiness. So I thought it was interesting, Phil. You talked about how the, he needs his pills or else this happens. I got the read that like the pills were, were the thing that were he was getting high off of them. Yeah, I mean, I think in this sequence, definitely because like you see him like taking his pill. Like, mm-hmm. I almost feel like he's just like, who knows what he's taking? Because I, I feel like he's just yeah. popping whatever <laughs> uppers, downers, antipsychotics like. I think he's got right, a right. whole like, you know, cabinet full of these different things. And I mean, definitely whatever he's doing in the closet doesn't help. Because, you know, right. it's, it's like, you know, late at night and he starts like freaking out and his sister's like, oh, what are you doing? I'm trying to sleep. And then he like, yeah. there's great panels of him just the way it's drawn. He's just freaking out and vibrating. And then suddenly, you, and it's cool because they don't show it he's just like it's no way to talk shut up and she just you know peeks through and they show him this panel of him freaking out and that's it cut to the next day yeah like it's a transformation like it shows that Mm -hmm. whatever he just took is yeah causing something and it is creepy and like that is sinkavage like oh yeah master work right there yeah i particularly love that 16 grid page where you've got a bunch of these these silent black panels oh, where yeah. he's having this dialogue inside his head and it's so unnerving bill uses again the you know the line of sight uh, line when he goes when he's in the closet and what he sees that that whole sequence is exceptionally unnerving and really really well done yeah mm-hmm. like turk has like a a pretty good guest appearance in here in like two sequences and Victor's yeah. talking about there's this great line where he's like, I hope he doesn't send Turk. He still owes me seven dollars. <laughs> <laughs> and like 17 cents or whatever yeah. it is. He keeps yeah. thinking about that. I don't know. Maybe just because I I'm live in New York City. So the references that Victor has to the old versions of the New York City subway system, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. the Interborough Rapid Transit and, and <laughs> yeah. the, the other one, which... Yeah. They were just incorporated at, at a certain point. I was just like, it's such a, a throwback and of the time and, and so wild. Uh, I thought they were completely made up, like just no. for the story. And oh, then like no. I looked it up just out of curiosity and I was like, oh, this was a thing. Yeah. Fascinating. But that's what's, I mean, there's so many like inner monologues with these characters. Like you could almost do a straight novelization without, mm. yeah. without Sienkiewicz and it would still be amazing to just read. It's it's such a perfect combination of, of words and pictures with this story. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like as we continue, we we go back to Wilson Fisk and, and Vanessa and the doctor, and we get an update on what's what's going on there. The doctor is working with her to essentially get her to he's having her use blocks to spell stuff. Mm-hmm. Um and like the first thing that we see is she's trying to spell friend to kind of communicate with the doctor. And then from there we go back to Victor. It looks like it's a different day now. And this is where he's breaking into Foggy and Matt Murdock's office. And 
the best part of this story comes into play, which is the like the whole eggs and egg salad. <laughs> like like he just keeps repeating like it smells like <laughs> eggs. It is so creepy. Yeah. But also like I like I don't know. Is there a drug that gives you that type of side effect where you just smell nothing but eggs? I don't know. Well, and it's funny too, because like the egg salad and him just like Victor's like his insanity, I just feel is like a precursor to straight toasters. Like, I feel like Bill was yeah. doing oh, yeah. all of this and being like, hey, I want to do a little more of this craziness with just getting really out there with some of the more disturbing characterizations. And I feel like, yeah, like you can see a lot of little like straight toasters stuff in, in Victor. Mm-hmm. Two years to the to the month. Straight toasters number wow. one. The, the release how, of this I mean, OGN. how do you do that in like this... <laughs> two three years like i oh insane yeah i had a, i got a kick out of because i just recently was watching stranger things and the uh you know the microfiche microfilm oh yeah you know being introduced now mm-hmm. to new generations who will probably <laughs> look at it and go what are they doing and yeah, then yeah. now reading this i was like yeah that was that was a thing that people did it was yeah it's a real tool um and that shows up in here and then this is where we also get the like his first kill first kill we know of that's very we true are sure because uh, as phil was true. talking about like that closet scene that whole thing with the sister mm-hmm. leaves yeah. a lot of questions absolutely but it's like now this is like he becomes like the real monster in, of the story where we're we're now fearing him because he yeah like he he isn't just like this quiet but uh unnerving like figure he kills someone and then that gets contrasted with matt murdoch hanging out with Cheryl back at his apartment and essentially taking care of her, making sure that she's okay. There's like a parallel here where we see Matt Murdock almost saying something similar to what Victor was saying mm-hmm. back when he was watching her, which is like, they both find her attractive. Yeah. And I think Daredevil says something along the lines, like, I, I need to remember that she's married. And that's also something that Victor said. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like a, an eerie like echo of that. Both he and Victor have like you're saying, like kind of competing visions of uh, Cheryl, but at the same time, Cheryl's mm-hmm. husband, the doctor, is almost doing the same thing with Vanessa, trying to cure. Her. Like, That's and true. maybe I mean, certainly not as like creepy or you know romantic is the same way as like Victor, or even Daredevil, but he's definitely connecting with Vanessa more than Kingpin is at that point. Because she starts spelling out the blocks Mm -hmm. and like she spells escape with like X-P-A-Y-P-N. I took that as to like that was kind of what she was feeling. But I feel like the doctor really kind of didn't like brainwash her into that, but kind of led her to that. Like, oh, I'll show you, Fisk. I'm really going to turn her against you. Because he knows that he's watching. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love that page, that Same. page where that part comes to a big culmination. We've gotten like this back and forth of seeing the lessons that the doctor is doing. And then you get, um, boom, the escape, the doctor, Vanessa, the hug. And then that dialogue. Mm. Now, Monsieur Fisk, Monsieur Kingpin of crime, <laughs> my wife and I, I have yours. And that shot, that big yeah. panel. Oh close up on kingpin's face uh, bdi it is so good yeah. terrifying 
also just like the use of negative space like is uh, it's just so gorgeous yeah another uh really cool thing once again with like daredevil just kind of being you know just one of the characters in this is that cheryl ends up like victor breaks into matt's apartment he finds a business card at the office and he goes mm-hmm. to you know in his mind rescue cheryl there's this great you know he starts talking about like where i could be her knight or but he's you know the whole time yeah. he's like i could be her knight oh no i'm not like you know he's really having some issues in his head but um yeah. but cheryl's the one that ends up killing him with like a red hot fireplace mm-hmm. poker daredevil doesn't even take out like the craziest creepiest killer guy in this and even by the time he gets to kingpin like it's like by the time he breaks into that building like it's too late like kingpin is yeah. already like quote-unquote defeated like he's oh, just yeah. like we see that big splash page of him essentially like destroying his own office oh yeah he's like holding that picture of vanessa mm-hmm. and then like he's like apologizing to the picture frame yeah. for for essentially breaking the crystal glass he was saying that like uh it was an accident breaking the crystal yeah uh, i forgot that it was on my desk and mm-hmm. that's when they pull out almost yeah and you see his entire oh, office and his an desk amazing, is just like yeah that page is amazing in pieces it's such a great like page turn mm-hmm. ryan i'm curious is that like in the physical copy is it like a full page turn or is it right next to it no, no it's, it's a, a page because yeah. that it's would a... be perfect yeah. page turn moment yeah. But the moment with Cheryl and Victor, and it is upsetting and scary and intense and, and wild. And, and then you have that page turn and it's this exceptionally oh, sad oh, yeah. full page painting of a knight riding off with a princess into the sunset. And I mm-hmm. just, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. When I read it, I was like, man, now I'm real, real bummed. <laughs> Not me. I was like, he's out of here. Go Cheryl. Yeah, he's definitely a creep, but it was also yes. someone who needed help and who was who was, you know, troubled and and you know, like this the story is there's a lot of mental illness in the story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and it's it's very upsetting. So after that beautiful night page, you see like um the doctor and Cheryl leaving the country with Vanessa and he's like, We're gonna relocate mm-hmm. her somewhere safe in Europe and and the last page is just amazing because it's like the giant, it's all pretty much Fisk except for a little head in his hands. And it's just, I have, I have built an empire on human sin. I am feared mm-hmm. by the honest and the wicked. Elected officials obey my will as swiftly as the lowest pimps and pushers. I have everything I desired. And dot, dot, dot. And that's it. Like, it's it's him just like, you know, kind of, I think, thinking to himself, well, I don't care about Vanessa. I don't like her. I never liked her anyway. Just him, like, this yeah. is what I have. I'm just going to ignore the fact that my wife's gone. I refuse to believe that that doctor beat me. Yeah, like, I'm not a loser. Yeah, like I do exactly. Not yeah. I won. Like, look at everything that I have. Mm-hmm. What a good story. Thank you oh, for picking yeah. this, Phil. I have no- I never read it up until this point. Oh, really? So, oh, oh. Very. Yeah, this was amazing. Before we let you go, Phil, I wanted to talk to you real quick about the variants. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
Gail Simone and I are doing a five-issue miniseries of Jessica Jones and her different variants from different realities all converging onto New York City. And um, Daredevil makes a little guest appearance there, and She-Hulk's also featured a bit. And it's a great story of um, just her meeting up with her various incarnations over... And these are all actual versions of her throughout the years in right. the Marvel books, like the Jewel superhero. And there's like a kind of a Captain America shield version of her from like, there was an mm-hmm. issue where miniseries, I think, I don't think it was a single, like she ends up working for shield and marries uh, Steve Rogers in one reality. And so this is that version Whoa. of her. And then there's, um, the nitrous and her like red mask and everything i'm working on issue three right now and it's it's just been so much fun to do with gail thanks so much for joining us phil this was awesome no thank you all right big thanks once again to fabulous phil noto um just a delight I miss Phil. Mm-hmm. I miss seeing him. Miss hanging out with him. Uh, he's terrific. Go check out the variants because that book is so good. Before we wrap up, I wanted to quickly thank everyone who responded to my article and um, about the vision for Marvel's Voices Pride, the trade paperback collection, because it's been great reading everyone's responses and all the kind words that you guys have sent me. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Yeah, very, very sweet. All right, that wraps it up for us. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos, Jasmine Estrada, and Cara McGurk-Allison. Jill Duboff is our director of audio. And Brad Barton is Marvel's Pull List senior manager of audio production and development. And that son of a gun had the audacity to take a vacation this week. He did. What a jerk. What do you think he's doing? Um, Drinking Tabasco sauce and eating uh, maple syrup cookies. That tracks. Because he also uses Tabasco sauce as instead of milk. It's his milk-like alternative. Yeah. So I know he uses that in his cereal. That's why he's got big gastrointestinal problems. Sorry, Brad. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Brad. TMI. All right. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jasmine. This is Marvel. Your universe.